So the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. We talked about it on Christmas Eve. But I, I, this, so, so we're coming back around to it. Because I wanted to go deeper into it. Um, now, oftentimes the biblical narrative, you know, the birth narrative um, about... <coughs> Can can kind of get lost in some of the traditions and the like, the trappings and the um, like the mystery of, of it all, like the mystery of the season. Um, and uh, but the 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 narrative about the birth of Christ is all about the passion of Christ, because this baby came to seek and to save the lost by dying and rising to come and live a perfect life, to do ministry for three years in person, healing and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God that was to come showing forth what the kingdom of God would be like healing and flourishing and shalom life as it was meant to be teaching love and joy and comfort Connection and relationship, the one another. This is where we get the one another. It's all from Jesus Christ. Abiding with him, dwelling with him as he dwells and abides with us. As we dwell and abide with one another. But oftentimes, we can look, you know, looking at Luke 2, oftentimes only through the narrative of Christmas. Only through our lens of the mystery of it all. And the, the songs and the artwork and all these things. But the whole, whole purpose of the birth narrative, especially in Luke 2, is to point to Jesus as the Passover Lamb of God. Because the Passover Lamb of God brought peace on earth by bringing peace with God. That's why it's so peaceful. It's not just this, ah, I'm going to just sit and enjoy this peace. Like this, this past week, I was in Texas. And... Uh, for Christmas. And it was wonderful. I loved being, being home with my family, with my parents and my sister and her, her kids. And we went to, so one day we spent in Waco, because we always have to spend a day in Waco whenever we go back to Texas, because that's where I've spent, you know, eight years of my, you know, seven, eight years of my life down there, going to seminary and, and living, living life down there in West and Waco. And just enjoyed going back and seeing family uh, in, the, in the form of, of my very close friends, the Millingtons. And we were just sitting there at the coffee shop. In Texas, it's like 60 degrees and humid, and sitting out back in the backyard at this coffee shop, just sipping my coffee. My kids are out playing. I can see them. I don't have to worry about them. Just sitting there, sipping my coffee, just enjoying a day. No responsibilities whatsoever. I can just be there and sit with my wife as we sit and talk. Just, I love these things, just peace and ah, tranquility. But that's not the peace that we're talking about. The peace that we're talking about that Jesus came to bring wasn't this mysterious evening, starry, starry night, just sitting in tranquility. The peace that he came to bring was this peace that passes all understanding. This peace, meaning the, the, the Hebrew word shalom, which means flourishing, life actively, living everyday life, Every decision, every relationship, every everything that we do and say and, and live is 
shalom, flourishing. That's what God desired to bring to our life, is flourishing. Life as he created it in the garden of Eden to be. The relationship with Adam and Eve, how relationship between humanity was supposed to operate. That's the shalom that Jesus Christ came to bring. And so as we read the narrative of Luke chapter 2, oh, and actually, sorry, I, I couldn't find my Passion Bible anywhere. Is it in here? No, nope. I still can't find it. <laughs> um, so I'm going I'm to be reading out of the CSB, the, the Christian Standard Bible. And I think this one's going to become kind of a standard for us uh, in reading. And so um, if you ever, ever get a chance, pick up a CSB. It is phenomenal. Um, it is one of the few translations that actually goes back and starts with the original languages. Uh, and so we're going to be reading out of the CSB this morning. But I want to I reframe the birth narrative in reality, which is why I wanted to kind of bring it back. After the, the Christmas, is, Christmas season is over, after, you know, even though our Christmas tree is still up in the, in the lobby, you know, I want to set and frame Christmas, Christ's Mass, Christ's birth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in a time where we're not maybe distracted by all the rest of everything else, where we can put the birth of Jesus Christ into reality because it is a historical event, not just a fanciful myth. And so as we read here this morning, pick up on some things maybe you, you might not hear and what it, maybe what it doesn't say as well. Uh, so let's read here. So we're going to go back and read uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Let's, let's stand. We're going to make this a tradition. Every week that we read the, the scripture passages, we're going to stand for the reading of God's word to honor it. Uh, so remember to bring, bring your Bibles to church. So here we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinus was governing, governing uh, Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, <clears throat> because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord, of the Lord, Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be to all the people, for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them, they returned to heaven uh, and returned to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You may be seated. So I want to comment on a few things just to kind of get started on this. I want to bring the narrative story into a picture of real life and out of the world of fanciful mystery or, or mythology. Um, how do we normally see the, the birth narrative? We see, you know, Mary and Joseph are arriving at night and they're like going around knocking on doors and knocking on doors and they go up to the, to the inn right? And the, the guy's like, oh, no, sorry, no room here. Go, you have to go find somewhere else. Go find, you know, knocking on these different inns, these different hotels. And all of a sudden they get to one, they're like, oh, I don't have any room, but I got a stable. There's some, there's a stable out back you can go and stay in. And then they're rushing there and she's like, oh, 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 you know, get into the stable and, you know, spits out Jesus, you know, pump, you know pushes Jesus out. And they're sitting there in starry, starry night. And, <clears throat> and then you got the shepherd, you know, the, the camera pans over to the shepherds. And they, 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 you know, the angels come to the shepherds and they come back into Bethlehem, same night. And then all of a sudden the shepherds are there and all of a sudden, boom, these three kings out of nowhere, you know, come into, come into the stable and, and they're sitting there going, oh, here's our gifts for you. And they leave. And But you have this, this picturesque picture of this, right? The, the, the nativity scene where you got... Jesus laying in a, in a manger and Mary and Joseph sitting on either side and the angel above and the shepherds over here and the magi over here. And, you know, it's like this beautiful picture, right? <clears throat> Nursery stories, right? That's, that's usually the usual narrative that's, that's portrayed. But they were not necessarily rushing to town. Said he's kind of while they were there. It never said anything about her, like them rushing to get there. She was pregnant, and they, they got there. They had to be there for the census, right? Not necessarily at night. They may have arrived in the morning or in, in mid-afternoon. It was several days' journey from Nazareth down to Galilee. She wasn't necessarily even riding on a donkey. She could have been. She could have been riding in a cart. She could have been walking. Those women were stout back then. They could walk and lead the donkey and, and be pregnant at the same time. It's like Sacagawea. You know, <laughs> here's the interesting, interesting part that Jesus was most likely not born in a barn or a stable. The word there is this word kataluma. And this is actually more attuned to the living quarters or even like a guest room in a house. Everyone got a, Anyone got a, a guest room in their house? Got a guest room? We got a guest room. We got two. We got you know, our basement, and because uh, we like having a lot of people over, so we have the basement with a king size and a full size bed, and we've got the guest room upstairs with a twin size. And when the new life people, kids were here, we, we even brought our camper around. It had an extra extra guest room for like three people if they needed it. We have guest rooms, and they did too. And the, the most telling thing is Bethlehem at this at this point was probably not even big enough to have public housing, like a public a hotel or something like that. But every home had a guest room or at least a guest living quarters. 
that they would have for family or friends that they that when they were traveling through town because everyone traveled it was a very traveling uh city especially bethlehem that was only a few miles outside of jerusalem and so people would come to bethlehem to stay with family during the great feasts in jerusalem so they would travel the three miles four miles into jerusalem in the morning for the for the temple feasts and and celebrations and then come right back home like jesus went out to bethany which is about a mile to the east of Jerusalem. And so all these little towns outside of Jerusalem had family that would come and have a guest room. This is actually what it would look like. So they would have the living quarters and everything upstairs, uh, like, you know, like living space for sleeping and things like that. But the downstairs was where they did everything else. They did all their chores. They had like the, like the loom where they would like make blankets and things like that. Or they'd make cloth and fabrics. They would have the kitchen downstairs because open fire. <laughs> They're having on the dirt floor. But at night, they would bring in oftentimes their animals and shelter them in the bottom room of their house. And so this is what was more likely happening in, during this, this account is that there was no room in the Cataluma upstairs, in the living quarters, the guest quarters, because David's family had to be there. And so David was probably not the only one coming to visit because of, because of the, the census that they were doing. And so there was probably a lot of family members in there. there was, this whole upper room was packed. And so they had to be downstairs with the animals in the kitchen and laying, that, laying down, the, down there on, on the, the floor. So the Cataluma was full. So they had to stay. They were probably staying with family. The house was probably packed. It probably wasn't like an empty stable. They probably had guests, other guests and other family members with them that were helping Mary give birth. And so they were, you know, they were most likely surrounded by family giving birth to Jesus in this Cataluma, in, in this, the, the downstairs floor. So it wasn't, it was probably not in a stable. The Magi probably didn't come until about at least a year afterwards. We even see as he says, you know, another, another evidence for this being in a house, let's look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, when it talks about the Magi. If I can get to it. Magi in chapter 2. Um, oh, actually, so here's a, another, a good picture of, a, of an example. This is a, a makeshift model of one that they, that they have on display. Uh, but Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> Um, after hearing the king, uh, they went, went their way, this is the Magi, and there he was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When the Oh, let me actually go back a little bit further, because this is why we know that it's still in Bethlehem. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. He did not intend to worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Here we go, verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented, the, presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And so the Magi, as we see, came and visited, but it wasn't until about a year later, 
how do we know this? Because Herod, after the Magi left, um, yeah, had, had told Herod about the time that the star had appeared. And based upon when, they, when the Magi told Herod when they had seen the star, he got so mad that, you know, they, that the Magi deceived him and left somewhere else that he was so jealous that he actually probably, that he summed up all the, all the army and went to the Bethlehem area and slaughtered every male child under two years old. Every male child under two years old. So round about, anywhere between two years, one to two years, after the birth of Jesus, um, the Magi came to visit. So they didn't come like the, the night that Jesus was born. They probably came about a year, possibly up to up to a year and a half after Jesus was born. He's, he might have been running around, right? But it's interesting to, to note um, that Jesus was born in reality. Jesus was probably born in a setting like this, surrounded by family. The shepherds. The shepherds were real, were real guys. Now, now the Egyptians, they didn't like shepherds. The Egyptians were, yeah, that's why, you know, when, uh, when uh, Joseph brought his family over to Egypt, back, way back in antiquity, um, that's why he, he said, hey, tell them you're shepherds because they hate you and they'll just leave you alone. They don't, they don't think very highly of shepherds. So they'll give you a whole area over here to live and, and to dwell in and they'll just leave you alone. And so, but Israelites actually favored shepherds. But these weren't just any shepherds. These were Bethlehem shepherds. These were priestly shepherds because the lambs that you know the sheep that were were raised between the you know in the three mile stretch between bethlehem and jerusalem all the sheep that were that, all the sheep and the cattle that were in this this swath of land belonged to the temple and so if you got one of these lambs and one of these 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 lambs or these cattle it was most likely to be used in the temple for worship to be sacrificed in the temple and so there's a, there's a place. The, the, I'm sorry. The, the, so these shepherds were, were known as uh, priestly shepherds. These shepherds were, were actually kind of known as, as kind of lower priests because they were taking care of the sacrifices that would be given to the Lord. These were expert shepherds. These weren't just any shepherds. These were expert shepherds. Um, and this is probably, so if you think about it, Jesus... Um, was in the line of a certain individual named David, who became, later would become king. But what was he first before he ever became king? He was a shepherd in Bethlehem. David, King David, was one of these shepherds, was one of these priestly shepherds. And these shepherds that we're talking about in this scripture passage were probably in the same family line as King David himself in the same priestly practice. The same thing, the same shepherds back then in David's time, he was probably raising shepherds to go and be sacrificed in the tabernacle. That was before, of course, because David, David's son Solomon would build the temple, but they had the tabernacle that they were worshiping in. So these sheep and cattle were probably still for the worship of God. And, so, and this is probably the same field 
because there was also a tower. If you actually notice in back way back when in Genesis, all the way back to Genesis, where Jacob is is in is in Bethlehem area. This is where he you know. Uh, so it's actually where he will bury Rachel, his wife, his beloved wife, in Bethlehem. But Jacob talks about this this tower. This is called Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder. This is Hebrew for the tower of the flock. This is this is where I get really excited. This is oh, this is fun. Oh my gosh, I love this. Uh, I shared this at Christmas, and all of my family started getting in tears when we when we start. So I'm, I'll hopefully get get through this. So the shepherds watched over um, this 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 flock that were that were meant for the for sacrifice in the temple. Um, like I said, David probably did the same work. Uh, the tower, this Migdal Eater, this this is a real tower. It's still here today, thousands of years old. And this, this tower has been there, <clears throat> at least one form or, form or fashion, since the time of Genesis, the time of the patriarchs, before, before Moses. This is Jacob. The tower was at least there in those days. So thousands, we're talking probably a good 6,000 years, five, 6,000 years. This tower is, is one of the most beautiful pictures of prophecy about Jesus. Because you know what was what was actually done in this tower? This was the, the tower of the flock. This is where the lambs that were birthed to be sacrificed for Passover were born. So they had the whole bottom floor was just a place of birthing where these shepherds would go in and they would help the ewes give birth to these lambs. But these lambs had to be perfect above perfect. And not just like, you know, not didn't have a broken leg or anything like that. They had to be perfect, not bruised, not broken, not walking weird, anything. These had to be perfect lambs to be sacrificed on one of the holiest days in Jewish life called the Passover, where God's, you know, the angel of the Lord would pass over uh, the ones who had the blood of the lamb on their door. Remember, going to Jesus, the Passover lamb. When was Jesus crucified? At, uh, during the time when they would sacrifice the Passover lamb, when they would slaughter the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. You know what these shepherds would do? So that these sheep would not break a bone or get bruised, they would wrap them tightly in cloths and lie them in a manger. What did the angel say to the shepherds? This will be a sign for you. These shepherds that would take the newborn Passover, you know, to these newborn lambs that would be the Passover lamb, signifying God's wrath passing over his people. They understood this concept, wrapping this lamb in, in, in swaddling clothes and lying them in a manger because they had to be perfect to be sacrificed. And this is the sign for these shepherds. They will find the child wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger because he had to be perfect. 
He had to be blameless. Why? Because the Passover lamb of God brought peace on earth by what? Bringing peace with God. By bringing peace with us, with God. How? By being our sacrificial Passover lamb of God. This is the message that the shepherds would proclaim. As it says, what they say? <clears throat> they went and saw it, and after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about the child to, you know, to Joseph and Mary. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. When, uh, the, and it? the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told by the angels. They were telling everyone. They were telling everyone the Passover lamb of God. This, this symbolism didn't miss, didn't, was not you know, miss on them. They got the concept. They remembered Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, the Passover lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world has come. Our Messiah has come. Our deliverer has come. And this was the first proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Passover lamb of God who brings peace on the earth by bringing peace with God has come. This is the essence of the gospel, the good news that we proclaim as the church of Jesus Christ. This is why the birth narrative of, of Luke 2 is so powerful. It's not just like a sweet little story of a baby being born and shepherds. and the, This is a powerful story of life change. This changes everything in our lives. This gives us hope. This gives us that joy, the peace, and the love of God. Because Christ, our Messiah, the Passover Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, has come. And this peace, this flourishing, the shalom that God came to bring is for everyone. This is the peace that we get to live in. This is the gospel, the joy that we proclaim. This was what he said. The, 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 the good news of great joy that will be for all the people, everyone, all people everywhere. This is the gospel. Think about Mary and all this. What did it say that she did? But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Wow, what could this be? They're considering all these things throughout Jesus' life and childhood. You know, this is foreshadowing the true purpose that maybe Mary wouldn't even fully realize until after the resurrection herself. You know, the song, you know, the song, you know, Mary, did you know that you're a baby? She didn't. Think about the song that she sung earlier. We talked about that. The song that she sung, she was, you know, her, her thing still kind of resonated this deliverance as a nation, like this national deliverance. 
She didn't quite fully even grasp. I mean, even look at her life. She and her, she and Jesus' brothers came to try to like bring Jesus home. They're like, dude, you're being a little crazy. You're being a little psychotic. We need to take you home. And so like, you know, it was reported to Jesus that his mother and his brothers were outside. And then but Jesus was like, who is my mother and brothers but you guys? Anyone who does my will, that is my mother and my brother. He even dismissed his family because they didn't get it. His brothers even mocked him. They're like, oh, you should be go down to Jerusalem during the time of this festival, you know, to you know, kind of show yourself. His brothers didn't even believe in, in him until after the resurrection. James, his half-brother, wrote the book of James that we have here, but he would never have written that during Jesus' life on earth. Mary didn't know the fullness of what Jesus came to do until after the resurrection. Just like his brothers. What's interesting about this is this is also the, the last place in Luke's entire gospel that angels show up. Now, if you know anything about angels and when you see them in the Bible, it's usually when something powerful and significant is happening. Because what's the next place that we see the angels appear? The empty tomb. So the fact that we see angels in this birth narrative is huge. Whenever we see angels, something powerful is happening. Whenever we see angels in the Bible, something magnificent is about to occur or has occurred, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this, this angel is not you know, recorded, but the account of this miraculous birth is closely attuned here. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, is as powerful as the resurrection. But oftentimes it's kind of dismissed as a little, like just a, a fun, fanciful story that has a bunch of songs and pictures and artwork, sweet story. But this, like I said, this is a powerful account of epic proportions telling huge truths. So what do we do with this? How do we engage with this? I've been wrestling with this for the last week. How do we engage with this? Well, I like to, I want to you know, kind of pose this uh, red analogy. So the first is reality. To realize uh, and engage with the Bible as a real history. This isn't just some fanciful myth, you know, mythology or mystery. This is a real account. This is a real narrative. This really, actually, truthfully happened. Jesus was flesh and blood. You could touch him. You could hug him. You could go, you know, like I said, he, he spent his first moments surrounded by his family in, in Bethlehem. The reality of this. And because it's real, because the stories and the narratives in this book are real, our faith is real. Our faith is reasonable. And if you go to the Holy Land and you, you do a Google search, you can look up most of these, like, like, like that picture, that tower's still there. You can go to these physical places and put your hand on places that these things actually happened. No other book in this, in this world is this accurate to not just what it says and its translation and its passing down, but also to the places and things that it talks about. They're still there. You can put your hand on the place where they think that Jesus' cross rested into. 
These places are real. And because of that, we have a real practical faith. Two, encourage, E. Because our faith is real, we can encourage each other with that. We can encourage each other with the words of this living and active book. Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, as it says. Encouraging one another and being encouraged by one another. Being encouraged by what this book says. And not just but what this book says, but what God says through one another. Encouraging and being encouraged to one another. Now, do we need encouragement? In COVID and, you know, in politics, they suck. Let's just put it out there. Everything about, like I wouldn't say everything, but so much about our time today in this season of our life just sucks. You open up the, you know, the news on, you know, every morning you're like, all right, what's, what, what's, what now? What new crap is hitting the fan today? You know, but life also sucked for them. Life was hard for them as well. Think about the, what, was, what was about to happen in, in Bethlehem after the birth of Jesus. Because what did, what did Jesus say? Well, what did God say to, to Mary and Joseph? He said, get up, flee, go to Egypt, because the ones who are Herod is about to go and pursue your, your son to kill him. So they fled. And then what happened? Sure enough, Herod came and slaughtered, murdered two-year-old children, boys. A great mourning. Attuned to Egypt when Egypt did the same thing. They're trying to wipe out the Israelites. So they killed all the children in a generation. And I was I was just I was hit, hit by a statistic the other day. You know what the number one cause of death in America this year was in 2020? Abortion. 42 million humans lost their life this year. We are living in the, in the days of Herod still. We are still living in those days. Life is hard. We need to encourage each other. This is why the one another's of the Bible are so vital to us. The one another's of Scripture, the one another's of gathering, like our, like our brother John prayed this morning, thank you, God, for, for getting us together, for letting us come together as the church and being able to come together even in our presence. Our presence encourages each other. Our presence helps one another, builds one another up. To just simply be with God's people. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, is in us. And so when we come together, we bring God's Spirit together. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. There's freedom. That's why it's so vital to gather together. That's why I vowed to us that we will never shut down again. I don't care if they lock this building. We're going to gather in our basement or over in his place. Or over at bar three. We're just, you know, having dinner together, having lunch together. We have to get together. Yes, yeah, stay home if you got COVID. 
if you, you know, if you feel led to. But, I'm, but guys, we have to get together. We have to gather. We have to be in each other's presence for mutual encouragement. And then finally, to demonstrate. To demonstrate the same good news of our Passover lamb with others. To share this good news with others. To share the gospel of the lamb of God, of the Passover lamb of God that came. That came to give us peace with him. Share that with others so that they too can have this same shalom, this same peace, this same flourishing in their lives. They can come to faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized and come and join God's people to have that same, what? Encouragement of a real faith. The birth of Jesus brought a newness of hope to everyone who heard the gospel of the shepherds. That same feeling that you just felt when I shared that Jesus was, that the Passover lambs that were birthed were wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and this would be the signs to the, to the shepherds. That same feeling that we just felt in our spirits was what people heard when the shepherd shared that same gospel story with them 2,000 years ago. The stirring of joy, the stirring of aha. We all need the peace of, that, of this gospel. Reminder of yourself of the gospel every day, the reality of the gospel every day. Encourage each other and demonstrate Jesus' love to everyone you meet and come in contact with. Let the story of Jesus Christ's birth, our Passover lamb, that came to take away the sins of the world, to seek and to save those who are lost, stir within each one of us to encourage us, to build us up as the body of Christ, and to send us out to share that same gospel truth with others so that they too may share in that same peace, that same salvation that we get to share in. And if you're here this morning or you're, or you're listening to this, this message and you have not made that profession of faith yet, I invite you and welcome you to come and make that profession. I'll be here at, at the front. All you got to do is, is you pledge your allegiance, you pledge your faith in Christ to him. That he came, that he came and that he, he was born. He really walked to this earth. The world lived a perfect life. He was the perfect Passover lamb. And he died on the cross to save you from your sins. Save you from the wrath of God. Forgive you all your sins and raise you up with him as he rose from the dead. That you too will be raised to walk in eternal life. And walk with him and be in his presence for all eternity. You make the profession of faith and be baptized. I'll be here if you, if you want to, to process through what that looks like for you. If you want to take that next step in your faith, say, God, I, I've, I've been walking this year in fear. I've been walking this fear in, in depression. I've been walking in, in life just defeated or unsure. But God, I want that joy. I want that peace, that shalom that Alan's talking about. I want that adventure that Ship's Church is all about.
What, is that, what does that adventure look like for me, God? Come, come I'd love to, come, love to talk with you about that and pray with you to seek that out in your life. And then engage. Engage in community. Come and join one of our app groups and find out more information about, at, our, at our link desk. I invite you first and foremost, make sure that your, your heart and your, your spirit is with God, that you are forgiven of all your sins. Come into the peace of God by proclaiming and professing your faith in him. Engage in the reality of, of Christ. Be encouraged and encourage others and go and demonstrate this faith to others. Jesus, we thank you for your red blood that was shed on the cross for us, that you became our Passover lamb, that the wrath of God would pass over our lives because they see your blood that has washed us clean, washed us pure of all of our sin, that you have made us a new creation in Jesus Christ, that you have made us alive and seated us in the heavenly realms with you, and God, I, I, I pray that no one would be listening to this message, God, and not be, be stirred by your Holy Spirit to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That we would walk in the newness of life as new creations. God, that our hearts would stir with joy because of the good news of great joy that is indeed for all people everywhere, for all time. Empower us, God, to take that message out into, out into the world, out into our daily lives, to live it, to demonstrate it, and God, to share it, to pour out the truth of the gospel of Jesus through the empowering of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would indeed be ready at all, in all seasons to give a defense for the good news, for the hope that is within us, God. Stir within us new life in this new year, a new way of, of new trajectory, a new way of thinking, walking by your spirit. Lord, we love you and pray your empowering spirit as we go. For since Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.